0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Matt the podcast where I share my thoughts and opinions and beliefs that have been lovingly dubbed Matt News. This episode is brought to you unofficially by Restream. Restream is the best way to live stream to YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and 30-plus streaming sites all at once. Expand your audience with multi-streaming today at Restream.io. Tonight's guest is Nate Baranowski. He is a street painter, muralist, chalk artist, fine artist, and you can check out his work at natebaranowski.com. He's also a new father Please welcome on Nate Baranowski. Hello, hello. Thank you for
1: having me. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, How are you? How are you doing? I am doing great. I am currently working on a mural. Um, So for the first time since my boy was born, I'm actually putting in full days of work, which it's been a while. So actually painting for 10 hours at a stretch is actually a little bit difficult for me. Oh, <laughs> so where are I'm you at? at I'm right right lazy. Where are you? Um, at, I'm on day. Well, I'm in in Indianapolis. Okay, uh, I'm on day three of four on this mural. Oh, nice. So, nice. are you so uh, getting it to the point where I hate it, but like I need to fix it, and then hope it'll be <laughs> great by the end? Well, as long as the rain doesn't wash it away like it did at Epcot. Oh man, but this <laughs> one is indoors and permanent in paint. So nice. Is, uh, don't nice, have to worry about nice. rain this time. Nice. Um,
0: I was just about to ask you a question and then I forgot what I was going to ask you. Uh, Oh, are you posting
1: your progress or anything on your Instagram? I am not. uh, Not for this one. Um, Okay. Mostly because I'm not super happy with my progress shots at the moment. So (laughs) I'm too embarrassed to, to share them, but I will correct all of these mistakes and hopefully post something great at the end. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so anyone who's uh, joining us
0: uh, either on Facebook, YouTube, or even Twitch, um, you can ask a question anywhere in the comment section or the chat, and we will be able to see that here on our side as well. And we're going to save a uh, reserve, a Q and um, R kind of time at the end and answer your questions on that. So please feel free to interact with us um, as the show goes on. Nate.
1: Yes. How is it being a new father? <sighs> Whew it is amazing for one um, but I I try not to sound really cliche when I talk about uh, fatherhood because I know it gets really easy to like do that and I want to try to be like realistic with it but it is amazing to be so connected to a, a human that does not know you exist or that you exist after you leave his field of view right um, but like there is this desire i i was um i've told i've told a few people now that like it's actually not to get like super spiritual super quick but <laughs> like it is definitely teaching me the way that god loves us because i so badly want my little 6 week old baby to know how much i love him mm-hmm. that like i don't even like i want him to love me back and show right. that. But like he doesn't grasp the fact that how much I love him. Mm-hmm. And like it's this this feeling of like, oh man, I'm so excited for him to grow up so he can know to the extent to which I love him. So Right, right. Yeah, it's it's been pretty cool. Traveling and having him not around has been a little difficult because I see pictures of him during the day and I'm like, oh, I want to hold that guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big
0: mushball. Yeah, but I mean, but this job, like you were saying, this is your first travel job
1: yeah. since, right? You're right. Yeah. Uh, so how 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 long has that been? How old is your baby? Six weeks. Um, Probably actually going on seven, almost seven.
0: Wow. I feel like it's, I feel like you should be older than that. I feel like it's been longer <laughs> than that.
1: <laughs> it feels like a long time and it also feels like just yesterday, so...
0: Yeah, um, so I know we're not talking about anything in particular, so I'm just going to kind of shoot from the hip. I um, love the
1: fact that like the title for this was like n- not anything in particular, <laughs> but like everything important. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's, my, that's my bio yeah. line.
0: Well, I always try to make quippy uh, titles for all of my episodes, except no, for the dude. last two, which were, you know. Uh, very important topics. So I was like, sure. you know,
1: maybe I shouldn't be
0: quippy with this one.
1: Nothing like moving from, from important <laughs> topics to me, just kind of a Joe Schmo with a bunch of opinions. But that's the, but that's the beauty of mattnews.biz. It's literally anything.
0: It's literally whatever I feel like talking about. And that's what I really love about it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into art? Cause I, I don't know. I know I've chatted with you a little bit about mm-hmm. it, but I've never really got into it. How did you get into, um,
1: Well, I I mean, as you can imagine, always have been creating art, always loved it, Um, but at a younger age, definitely had the thought of this can't be a business. I mean, Mm -hmm. this can't be a career. This is just going to be a hobby. Like as a kid, I wanted to be a Disney animator. Like that was my Mm -hmm. dream. Like I was trying to do like little flip books of Lumiere, like when I was a kid, um, and then, so I went to school for industrial design. So I thought to myself, if I make products and I like learn modeling and stuff, that's artistic, but also like will lead to a career sort of thing. And from there, I, after moving down to Florida, I had the uh, opportunity to work at a place that did themed entertainment design. Uh, like that worked for the theme parks. So I was able to like do some design stuff there. And I was like, hold on a second. This is really cool. Uh, But while I was doing that, oh, and back, sorry, going back a little bit, back in college, I did a little side job doing chalk art. Um, Hmm. so that became my like, Hey, make it like 40 bucks here and there. Um, I was doing like announcements and stuff on the quad. Um, and then when I moved down to Florida, I found all these chalk festivals and I started going to them just for fun on the weekends. Um, and then, so after like a couple years of doing this, I was like, you know what? Some people are paying me for this. And I started doing a few murals and things here and there, um, So that's kind of how I started getting into it and eventually said, you know what? I want to try, like, make a go of this. So 2015 is when I started like full freelance art. Like, I'm just going to like go all out. And so, and I'm still here. I'm not saying uh, that it's like a forever thing, but it's a, for five years, I have been a freelance artist. Wow. Yeah. I'm yeah,
0: here cough. Oh, I'm second. Oh, you're all right. Well, actually, I've, I've been, I've been wanting to grab my water, but I was like waiting. I was yeah, just waiting. You didn't want to
1: be unprofessional mm-hmm. like me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, when I had Robles on, he got, he like coughed right into the microphone, and I uh, I told him I'm going to keep it in there. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <Mind> it out. <laughs> um. So so how did you make the move from? You know, I know you said two, 2015, that's when you really mm-hmm. started professionally. So right. how did you make that jump from, you know, not like professional? Side to hustle
1: professional. to professional. Yeah. So... I, what I ended up doing is I started, I had a lot of freedom in my design job. And what I started doing was just working a little bit less and less. And I was getting these jobs that were taking me from Friday to Monday. So I was able to like just work less time. Um, And I know some people don't have the flexibility to like kind Mm -hmm. of pursue that side hustle without um, kind of... Having a detrimental effect on your day job, but I had was in like the great position of being able to like, kind of head into that, um, a little little by little, and then I was making enough that I thought, well, and I also was in a fortunate position where my wife was working, so I was like, mm-hmm. all right, we have one income in our family. I'm going to give this a year. Like we we talked about it and we said, okay, we're going to give it a try and see what happens. If a year goes by and it's like, no, this can't work, then like we'll just I'll head back to where I came from or, you know, go different direction. Yeah. So I did the first year and it was I I got work, but it was okay. just not a lot of money. Like it was just like I I could probably live on it if it was just me by myself but like for a couple like oh that's not great but it was enough to go okay let's give year 2 a try right and it went and it went from like the year 2 was a big uh, explosion for me with a lot more jobs and a lot more uh, like all right this is career type money sort of thing So how much of it
0: was like actually the art and how much of it was like you just putting yourself out
1: there and networking? I would say it was probably more networking, more um, talking to people. And, and especially with these festivals, I started, I got to know chalk artists that were already doing it professionally. And the way I got started is there were several artists that needed assistance on jobs. And so basically Mm -hmm. like, I w I got brought in on it. It's like, that was some of my earliest opportunities. And that was just because I got to know like the scene from going to festivals where I was not getting paid at all. It was just, I just love doing this. And so I'm going to show up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: um, so, so I, you've probably seen some of my drawings and stuff like that that I've been mm-hmm. doing on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I, the thing is, is all of my drawings are me copying other people's drawings because I don't feel confident enough to do my own stuff. Uh-huh. Like, so how do I make that transition? How do I make that leap into like, I'm going to start drawing my own stuff? Because I know, I know some, most of your chalk art is actually yeah. you reproducing something else. Right. Exactly. Um Yeah.
1: Um, for example, the mural I'm working on right now is designed by me. Uh it's a completely original piece. And I think because of that, I it's a lot more nerve wracking for me. Like it mm-hmm. is like I understand that it is difficult to do your own thing because, you know, you have it's not a matter of just reproducing something else. Like for example, I've always been very good at reproducing other work. Like I can, I just, I can look at something and just kind of forge it basically. So when it comes to reproducing things, like no problem, I can copy any style, like go for it that way. But doing my own thing definitely requires like, do I have a style? Do I have, and I know sometimes when I look at my own art, I actually see in it, uh, Some of the things I don't like from when I started drawing when I was a kid, like some yeah. of those same ways that I draw people and like some of those, like what I don't like are things that like, Oh, I just never like advanced that part of my, my uh, repertoire. So advice mm-hmm. for you is you just kind of have to do it yeah, and you have to, well, I would recommend work on it a little bit, leave it, work on something else, come back to your own piece and do it piece by piece because you will find yourself getting more frustrated Mm -hmm. with your own work than copying someone else's. So you kind of have to give yourself a little bit more grace of like, okay, I'm going to be mad at it. And by turn mad at myself and I need to like step away from it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's hard for me to do because, um, you can ask, you can ask Nikki, um, I'm the kind of guy that like, Hey, I've started something. I've got to finish it before I mm. do the next thing. And so it's really hard for me to step away. I've actually, I actually started drawing, uh, cause, um, hold on. So, Oh, it's so, portfolio so, review time. Here well, we go. Yeah. No, I don't want to do all that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want to like, so, 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 uh, friend of, friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Jared, um, young, um, was going to get rid of this tablet. You know, and so I was like, uh, bro, I'll take it and, uh, I'll try it out and see. Mm-hmm. And it's an Android tablet. It's not as, it's not like fast or anything like that. It's really slow loading. Um, but that's what I've been drawing with. And I've found that I actually prefer it. Um, mm. oh, I prefer drawing on a tablet than I do on paper. And so, like, this is what I'm working on right now. And I hate it. Like, I absolutely just hate
1: it. Um, I hear from a, a little a little bird at the moment that you maybe lack patience in in our in our text. <laughs> maybe you're <laughs>
0: – she's outed this?
1: you. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It's Look not that I love yeah. yeah. I love it.
1: Let yeah, I don't you know.
0: Again. I mean, I like the lighting. Yeah, well, that's what I'm trying to work on. Like I'm trying to do like the going from black, you know, uh, to a to a piece. I did this one the other day. Um, This one's actually like my favorite right now. Oh, very nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. That one's probably my favorite so far. So here's, here's something for you. Yes. Um, Every artist that I truly respect and think is amazing. I, they have something in common. They always take their time with their work. Always. Like I've never looked at someone's art, talked to them about it. And it's like, and I'm considered like pretty fast in what okay. I do. But actually, like, here's what I recommend. Here's my recommendation for you break down every project or every piece that you're going to draw into several stages. And if you need to have something, <laughs> if you need to have something complete, complete a stage and then walk away from it. Because viewing art as not really finished can mm-hmm. actually be a good thing because then you can kind of work over it. Like, especially, you know, certain like oil painters will just rework and work and let it dry for a couple of weeks, which I've never gotten to oil painting because I can't stand the idea of being like, wait, how long do I have to wait till I get yeah. some more? Yeah. Like, You'll be, be, be the guy with the blow dryer. You'll be the guy with a blow dryer, like blow dry, dry. <laughs> exactly. So yes, I mean, like I would break it down into smaller pieces. Um, And for example, I'd be like, all right, tonight, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to sketch something out. I'm not going to put any color on it. I'm not going to put any values on it. I'm just going to sketch it out. I'm going to work on it. When I'm finished with that, I'm going to walk away. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to do, all right, I'm going to put on value. I'm just going to put black and white value. I'm just going to put it down. And you work on that for a while and you walk away. And what you get is you get fresh eyes. And fresh eyes, when it comes to art, is some of the greatest tools that you have because every day you pop up you will see something different there's just like fatigue or uh you know familiarity that actually can hurt your art because all you're seeing is you know one particular thing but like the next day you come to it it's like whoa hold on a second that nose that nostril needs to be smaller and it's just and and if you were working digitally flip your art often what do you mean flip you're like flip the canvas like actually like if you're working in something that you can like mirror it mm-hmm. if you ever mirror something uh you'll see it with it that gives you fresh eyes without actually having to wait, so maybe I shouldn't have told you that, but like yeah, if you ever work anything digitally, if you give it a flip, um anyone who works in Photoshop will like have a hotkey that basically flips the canvas,
0: okay, hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's just a, that's something I need to work on is just patience because I want to finish it. And hey, I, I me think, too, you and me both. Yeah, I, I think what really gets me though is you know like YouTube artists or even TikTok artists. You know, they're like you know they'll they'll do the speed, uh, they'll speed it up, of course. But sure. it still it's like you know it still looks like it took less than a day for them to to work on it to do it and to get it done. Right. But you did um, it in fifteen seconds because you condensed it to TikTok exactly exactly yeah i don't know um and then also too like i like caricature artists i like the way like they work um and they work really fast they have to you know Mm -hmm. um and so i've thought about getting into that i just don't know how i think what i would want to learn is like how uh to like how to pick out features that you want to draw right yeah
1: yeah that's something that that's a different type of skill set that i i respect those who can just like look at a face and be like all right there you go.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, I, I think I'm done with the art questions.
1: All right. <laughs> Good. Thank you for coming to art Corner. If you have yeah, any questions uh, about
0: art, put them in the chat, put them in the chat and we'll come back to it. Um, so, uh, I heard a, a little birdie told me that you recently went to a, uh, black lives matter, um, rally. And recently, I mean, like it's been like a month right. or so. Right. It's been a while yeah yeah um so what what made you want to go to it and how how was it
1: yeah um so i live in chicago Mm -hmm. um and i it was oh i'm really bad with dates but at some point in time what happened is a bunch of uh different churches came together to do a uh basically a a protest march that was uh, part. you know, a praying for peace and for peaceful demonstrations, but also, um, uh, definitely, I mean, it was not too long after George Floyd and I think it was maybe right after Breonna Taylor, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, also the racial injustice and the divide within the church, uh, and -hmm. the fact that this was put on, I think in Chicago, it was, um, several Christian um, churches, but also some uh, Jewish synagogues. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, I'm very bad. And uh, synagogues, yep, that's yes. Jewish. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, all of these organizations came together, and our church had a, a contingency from it. And I was like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to my first protest." And I was, frankly, very, very scared because I had never been to, like, seriously, never marched in anything ever. Yeah. Um. So I was like, "You well, know, do I do I make a sign? Do I what? What do I do?" And, you know, like what if I get there and someone's yells something that I don't agree with? Do I have to like, you know, what part of me like participating in, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so it was, it was really, really cool. We, we probably walked for, you know, five miles or so uh, down Martin Luther King Jr. Drive in Chicago. Um, and, you know, everyone was very peaceful, respectful. Like that was part of the, the thing is that, um, it is, you know, sadly, the the case that when a protest um, turns into rioting or turns into violence, um, it sadly under undercuts a lot of the message of the protest. And it's uh, it can be used to basically discount what the, the protest is about. So uh, it was a very it was very cool. The, the leaders of the march said, like, hey, you respect this um, this issue by yeah, you know, by respecting uh police as they you know are around and also like respecting the area and those who live in this area. Yeah. Um
0: so is, is it was it being a peaceful kind of what protest or march or whatever is that's that's what kind of drew you to it. Like, well, if it's gonna be peaceful, I'm gonna attend it.
1: Yeah, I think that was, I mean, I think that was part of the, at least for me, uh, never having gone to a protest before. The mm-hmm. fact that there was definitely one, it, it was, you know, I was there with members of my small group from church and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you guys here. And I'm with like our pastors walked into it as well, but also like the, the peace aspect of it was definitely like it felt I don't know. It felt good for me because I was scared and I wanted yeah. to you know, I wanted to participate. Um yeah. It it has definitely been I think since then, um, you know, there's all sorts of discussions around capital letters black lives matter versus mm-hmm. lowercase black lives matter. Um, but it was it was good for me, especially in that moment to be able to you know, basically say Black Lives Matter in a very like powerful way with the rest of my church, uh, because, um, it is in Christian circles, depending on the political persuasion of your right. church, um, even saying that is fairly loaded. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of cool being able to be with my small group and be like, hey, we are pro Jesus, we are pro all people and we are pro specifically black lives
0: yeah yeah that's good um like i actually have a buddy of mine who i want to have on this podcast um but he he's very much a person that um uh kind of defaults to Whenever you're having an argument he he defaults to well, do you believe that black lives matter? Can you say those words specifically black lives matter sure. and uh whenever I'm having a conversation with him um it's usually very public, and so uh i I tell him like I'm not gonna say those words in that mm-hmm. order um mm-hmm. because it because I know people who associate the those terms with the organization sure. and you know and um so and that's kind of the, that what you're talking about, the capital Black Lives Matter and the lowercase Black Lives right. Matter. Um, and, and I and I hate the fact that it's, you know, it, you have that contention where you can't right. just say, like, I know what Black Lives Matter means. I know that it means that I value the lives of black people, you know, right. and, and you can't just say that. You can't just say, well, I believe Black Lives Matter because it has so much baggage with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you find yourself, um, before going to the protest, having those same thoughts and then kind of growing past it?
1: Yeah, sure. The, um, I, I don't know. I think it wasn't, um, I know it's, it's, it's tricky for me because I think I, when it comes to black lives matter, I'm talking like organizationally versus, you know, the, the, the concept, um, I definitely have you know the okay people that I love that I know in Chicago um, have been impacted positively by the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's I think it was for me it was okay whether this is uh, tied to an organization or not me learning and uh, showing up. I think in I think in general I'm going to go kind of back up a little bit. I think mm. we are often uh a little nervous about what our participation in different things will look like to the outside right. and or how it will come across and I think I made the decision I would rather learn about an organization or learn about the people within it or learn about the issues um without being concerned that people that know me would go, hold on a second. Are you in support of everything that black lives matter stands for sort of thing? Right. Because when those conversations happen, we can have that discussion. Uh, but if not, I mean, people will assume all sorts of things about us all the time. So I think that's my, that was kind of my, my mindset going in is, you know what? Like if, I would rather show up and learn and especially like represent the church mm-hmm. in, in some ways. And I think that's a, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's also similar. I mean, not to, this is not an equivalency, but right uh, when it comes to going to a, a, a pride event or, mm-hmm. or marching with, uh, you know, gay brothers and sisters, like to me, it's the, okay, people can assume different things about what I believe. <laughs> Mm-hmm. but like by sh- by showing up and by learning and by being in solidarity with someone, then I can kind of learn along the way yeah
0: yeah i mean that makes that makes a lot of sense because for me it it does stink like it, it does stink that you have you can't just say you know i support um you know, when people question, you know, hey, are you supporting that organization, and do you agree with everything it is? It's, it, I mean, if we talk about politics, you know, it's kind of like saying, well, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a Democrat, and so it's like, oh, so you you're for abortion? It's like, right, well, not necessarily. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They package you the whole the whole deal, and I think that's right. uh, that's a trap I fall into because I really, um, um, it's really hard to because I want to be associated with something where i can literally just say i am a blank right and this and and everybody knows exactly what
1: you are because we all want to to belong to a clan we all want to be able to say me and all these people who are, say the same thing we all identify as the same and we hold all of these together and uh, like yeah you can't really do that i mean sadly right now to say i'm a christian is not uh I mean it's hopefully we, <laughs> we hold to uh very similar, like core Jesus foundation, uh, but it also doesn't mean that your, you know, beliefs in politics are the same. Right. Well some people do assume that's what it means, but I would oh, yeah. push back on that and say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of people assume, you know, well,
0: you're uh you're a Christian, you're obviously voting red, you're obviously yep. voting Donald Trump and everything like that. And it's like, no, not necessarily. We can have a conversation about that, and I can let you know, you know, right. How how I'm taking this voting season. Um right. and, and you know, yeah.
1: Um, well, are we gonna talk politics now? We to- do you want do you want to? We can. All right. I this is always, the, I always want to. I uh, I try to tread lightly. Oh, okay, okay. Hold because, on, wait. Okay, we we don't need to then.
0: I kind of want to though. No, no, I don't I, know I feel like I'm baiting you into it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very easy subject to bait me into. Sure, um sure. well, let's kind so of You had another let's question. Let yeah, let's kind of uh scale Oh, Nikki said yes. Nikki gave me permission. Ooh. Ooh! How about this? We'll start off the, like this. We'll start off like this. We'll we'll kind of scave the political. We'll kind of scave it, and we'll talk about uh, critical race theory because I know right. you mentioned oh, yeah, it to me, and so uh, I know a little bit about critical race theory. Um, I've listened to uh, the Free Mind podcast. There's a plug for you, Robles. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I've listened to there, um, but I do feel like uh, the Free Mind podcast. I don't know if you ever listened to Seth and Nerva their podcast. (laughs) I I feel like it's very (laughs) one-sided. It is, it is a very right leaning podcast. Correct. Um, And so uh, I try it, it, but it's very hard to find um, for me at least. And that might be because of my algorithms. um, It's hard to find uh, left um, uh, critical race theory videos or anything like that. Um, But also too, the ones that I do find uh, sound like they're kind of nuts.
1: Mm. Mm. Um,
0: and that was me just like literally just throwing it out there. But, yeah. um, I, I, you know, uh, so in your own words, mm-hmm. if you could try to explain, yes. critical race theory to me. Oh man, and okay. it's kind of hard because we're both white, so it's like it right, <laughs> right. Okay, so
1: okay, so I mean, if, this is sort of what I've gathered through my. Uh, I am not a professor here, but I would say mm-hmm. that. It is, I would say, probably the most common uh worldview or way to look at something in the United States right now, um, and especially um highlighting racial inequality in the US, it has been, you know, more popularized. Um, but this that there are uh, oppressors and the oppressed and that uh, in these different areas of our life, uh, if as a, a white person, uh, you have been in the oppressor group in, in America. Uh, and if you're a black person, you've been in the oppressed group um, and that these two different sides, um, my what is either built into my teaching or the system that I'm in uh, is meant to keep me in the power position. And then, and then and my decision basically is uh, whether subconsciously or consciously is to try to stay, stay up there. Right. Um, and the same thing with the same dynamic for men and women as power, you know, oppressor oppressed, um, straight, uh, versus gay, um, What's a young versus old, older? Maybe mm-hmm. uh, a couple more and, you're all, and you're also placing
0: these into like dichotomies as well. Like you know, um, right? We know like there is intersectionality, um, right. but there's also, I mean, if you want to go with uh, the transgender, you know, I mean, it's right. not just male versus female. It's, exactly. You know, cis
1: versus trans. Right. Exactly. So then, the intersectionality of okay, you are a. Uh, Black, trans, and then, you know, where you're, maybe where you're from in the mm-hmm. United States or, you know, that sort of different areas that kind of come all together right. uh, or or your religion. So another thing, uh, kind of contentious thing in critical theory is that there is a lot of, okay, if you are a Christian in the U.S., you have been in more of the oppressor group. It is versus if you are Jewish or Muslim, um, I, I think those are probably the two that would probably fit. Into And even like in like kind of it's Judeo-Christian, I mean, maybe Jewish, you can kind of ride both sides depending on sort of right. thing. But that I mean, like the overall view there is that and if you're in the oppressed group or if you're in a group that has kind of been tamped down, uh, like being woke is mm-hmm. basically being able to say, like, I realize that the systems are against me. Um, and that I need to kind of break out of that and see that uh, this is, you know, it's kind of meant to kind of keep me down. Right. Um, and then, if you are a white uh, cis male mm-hmm. like myself, you you know your your job is to realize that uh, you either consciously or subconsciously need to figure out. There are things in my raising and things in the education system that have I need to kind of like break through that and see the areas in which I have been um, prejudiced. Basically, yeah, yeah. the so that's sort of like the problem statement is that, and some of the solution statements of critical race theory is for me, uh, specifically me to be educated more and figure out the ways that I have privilege over someone who's in a different section and learn and listen from those who have different lived experiences. Now, where it gets into more uh, dicey, almost theological takes is this idea of truth being my truth and Mm -hmm. uh, truth experience. Um, To me, that's not, uh, I don't have that intellectual of a mind. So that part of it is not as interesting to me um, because like, I think all right, I could kind of reason through the fact of like, all right, I think there is truth and that, but I also think that hearing someone's lived experience does change your opinion of someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're talking about, um, you know, the, the, the idea of an objective and subjective truth, like it doesn't really interest you either or because you think that the subjective truth can influence
1: yeah i think it i can i think that no matter so part of the take um of critical theory that critical race theory that gets kind of smashed uh by i would say right evangelical uh um, mm-hmm. christians is the fact that it at its, at its solution section and at its deepest part, it is contrary to God holding truth, basically, and this idea that okay the the, uh, the true words from a white person are no less true because they 're from a white person sort of thing so there 's like a pushback of that, and then this you know it gets tied into sort of the the, the Marxist um, you know like oh, do we need to like disassemble?" religion disassemble Christianity sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and sort of rise up sort of thing. So that's the overall, I'm, I don't know. I don't know how well I did on that, but that's sort of the overall thing. Yeah. You kind of, <laughs> you kind of touched on things.
0: Um, I guess my question would be, do you find that there are some um, prejudices that maybe we have as white cisgendered males Um because uh so i don't know if you I, I can't remember her name um uh, but she did an experiment called blue eyes brown eyes i don't know if you've ever seen that oh no. um so it's an older older lady hold on let me google it really quick because i don't want to um say okay. her
1: name wrong uh blue okay i want can i answer your question while you google it or you go for it go fast okay yes the answer is yes i think we do i think we do have prejudices inside of us and here's Yeah, I don't say that as an American. I I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I don't say that as an American. I say that as a Christian because here's this. Okay. I think the, my pushback to the response to it is no, critical race theory is not a It does not offer satisfying solutions to a human heart and racist either systems or people like the, that the fact that, Yes, hearing more and educating more and being more influenced by great black thinkers is helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it will ultimately lead to reconciliation i okay. think it i that's just my my thought I think it's kind of unsatisfactory but I also find that when it gets put up against a quote unquote biblical worldview, I think that none of us, here's my hot take. I don't think that any of us have a biblical worldview. Hmm. I think that none of us truly grasp the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and how, how, it, how we should be as Christians. So when you say Critical race theory as a worldview versus biblical worldview. Yes, they are out of step and critical race theory falls in front of a biblical worldview. I would also say that American Mm fundamentalists, patriotism also falls in front of a a true biblical worldview. And I think, you know, different forms of capitalism fall in front of socialism fall. Like everything is inferior to a true And I think we at times grasp it for moments, but I think that we are all biased by the ways that we were raised and the country we were raised in and the songs we sang and God bless America. And like Mm -hmm. we've all like, I don't think we have a perfect uh, biblical worldview. I think we're all striving to learn more about what does God think of the world and how should we view people in the world?
0: I uh, like a hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> oh. I don't know if you thought I was going to push back on that. Um, I was ready
1: for it just in case.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I a hundred percent agree with you and we can go into that a little bit uh, in a second. But um, Jane Elliott is the, okay. the lady um, and she does this experiment and there's a ton of videos on YouTube that you can watch of it. And she does an experiment called blue eyes, brown eyes. And um, what she does is she takes, uh, she has a group of like 50 people um and she'll put them and she'll have them come in and everybody with blue eyes she puts a scarf around their neck and then has yeah. them wait in, in a room separate the people with brown eyes. Well, the people with brown eyes are like fed, they're like given snacks, they are given uh, you know, uh, nice drinks, nice places to sit and all that while they wait and they're told like, "Hey, when the blue-eyed people come in, like treat them like garbage." You know? Um okay. And they and she even hangs up signs in the main room that says, like, you know, blue eyes, get out of here, hang a blue eye by their toe, like basically a bunch of racial slurs, but change blue eyes out, you know. Uh And uh, and then she also makes the blue eyed people sit on the floor, you know, while all the brown eyed people are sitting in chairs around them. Mm -hmm. And um, and then basically just kind of, you know, it's it's the experiment is um, that there's something biological about yourself that is seen you know, mm-hmm. that you can't change about yourself. Right. Um, and, and that you're being judged based upon that. And this is the experience that black people have had throughout the history of at least America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually found that experiment very opening. Um, and that, um, it, 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 I felt like it really softened my heart to mm-hmm. the, the plight of, you know, my black brothers and sisters. Right. And, uh, so, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that or not. I don't think you have. I haven't. Yeah. Um, check it out. And I would tell anybody to, to really check it out, especially if you really want to, um, to learn more about, uh, uh, I, I think, which is a more positive message concerning the Black Lives Matter movement and really understanding that. Because that's something that you said, you know, you think that critical race theory brings that into light, kind of that right. um, injustice into light. And that's kind of the good thing that's happened out of it.
1: Right, I think the like I would say to me it has been helpful, mm-hmm. and I think if you I would say that if you filter critical race theory through the fact that and i i think even in the in the free mind podcast, there's talk about the i'm going to say the word wrong, is it hegemony? Hegemony? Hegemony sounds correct, but I I have no clue what it means. Okay, so like the the fact that we are, through our culture, we are all been like conditioned to believe these different things. So like that, like uh, the standard of beauty, we've been taught Mm -hmm. by advertisers, we've been taught by media, and like, here's what a beautiful person looks like, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think it has been helpful to try to identify... and then taking it to like taking it into, okay, Jesus, like, what do you have to teach me about myself? Um, and examine, like, are there things in my life that have led me to have prejudices in my life? Mm-hmm. And I would say yes. Like, mm-hmm. and that has been extremely helpful because I don't know if you experience this at all. Mm-hmm. I think... For example, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it first, and then I'll kind of feel it feel it out. I'll go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have learned mm-hmm. that I have racist tendencies in me. Mm-hmm. That I struggle with racism. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's my first. That's my statement. Okay. I think the sin of racism is a sin that us as white Christians have a very hard time confessing. Mm -hmm. I think that it is that like me having that, like there are a lot of sins that I can kind of, say and be like, yeah, I'm consumer-y, i am consumer I seek power or yeah. whatever. Like, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. If I came to a small group and said, I just need one ever know, I think I'm racist or like, I yeah. think I have these in me. They'd yeah. be like, oh, hold up.
0: Yeah, you, 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 think- you, would, you, you would have a better time saying I struggle with porn addiction.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely you would yeah, you would have a lot different things you'd be able to admit before that, yeah, I think that is a problem because I think as Christians, we should be the most able to admit our own sins mm-hmm. and know that the depravity of the human heart is my heart is bent on wickedness in a lot of ways, and the fact that this is just one other element of that, yeah. And I think by being able to approach that and be like, all right, what are the things like, I I don't know, I just, I have not heard a, another white Christian admit to having like to having any sort of racial prejudices or things kind of built into them. I just haven't, I've, I've never heard it before. I've never heard it from the pulpit. I've never heard it from, and I think. But we talk about it like there are racist people out there, or I know right. distant relatives who are, or an older generation is, or and I know that the word racist is so loaded and it feels so terrible. But that if yeah, it, that that was the point. I'm sorry, that was the point I was going to make. Is
0: that yeah. um, you know, I think that because the word racist and racism is so loaded that everybody thinks like like when you say racism and racist. People automatically think of Nazis, KKK, um, KKK um, right. uh, That those kind of things where um, I think me and you um, can can see the nuance in the fact that there are subtle racisms that right. we have within us, you know, and those are rooted in us. And it's almost like a generational curse. Like it's happened so yeah. much generationally that, you know, um, like. I have this story. Um, so I, I would confess the same thing that I believe that I have racist tendencies within me. And, right. um, some of them are so subtle and unconscious that I don't recognize them until it happens, Right? you know? And, uh, you know, it's like I can, you know, um, when I was single, um, you know, I, I could have been attracted to black females, you know, but I would have known about the stigmas that would have, that would have been with that. Um, Like if I would have dated that person, Mm -hmm. you know, there would have been stigmas and I would have have felt those stigmas as well. And so I think that those are things that are within us, but also too. um, So I had a really, a really good friend of mine. Uh, We're not really good friends anymore. We still talk to each other every now and again. We just, you know, we just lost touch. Um, He's black. And, uh, but I remember one time I invited him over for like a little get together and there was, you know, most of us were white and then he was the only black kid. And it became like this, like, hey, how can we make fun of his blackness? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fit. And I remember my mom came in and she told everybody to leave. She was like, Matt, I am so disappointed in you. Mm-hmm. And, but those are things that were instilled in me. And it was, you know, it was, um, I want to, uh, I actually want to bring up th- this one point after I make the story, close out the story. Um, But it was like, I was pressured by the crowd I was within, you know, and because I was more, because I had more in common with the crowd, which we were all white, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that I felt that it was okay to take it out on this, on my, on my black friend, you know, and, and uh, I don't know if I ever apologized to him or not about it. Um, Maybe if he's watching, I can, you know, or maybe I'll text him after this. Um, But You know, that's that's the point in my life. that I feel like it's like this. It's this weight that's still on me and I still struggle with those things. Um, But there's this great uh, French um, anthropologist named Rene Girard. Um, I don't know if you ever saw my post that I've I've made with man. I know uh, your Rene Girard
1: posts like, yeah, I I absorb those nuggets. Yeah, great. I
0: I love them. I love them. And he um, he did a uh, there's a video of him on YouTube. Uh, He passed away in 2015, but there's a video of him where he does this interview and they talk about Peter's denial. And he talks about Peter's denial in a way I've never heard about it before, where when Peter is there and Jesus is, is during trial, um, there's people there and they're saying, hey, you're one of those Galileans. You're one of, you're one of those people that was with Jesus. And he is like, no, 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 that's not one of, that's not, I, I'm not a part of that. And they're like, yeah, you are, because you have that Galilean accent you know and they pick him out that way mm-hmm. and and what it is 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 peter is taken over by the crowd spirit and even they even make in one of the gospel accounts they they make sure to say that it's one of the girls is a young girl mm-hmm. you know and so he's being pressured by the crown to uh, to fall in with this persecution of jesus that he then that's what causes him to deny Jesus three times and he doesn't realize he's done it even after Jesus told him he was going to he doesn't realize that he was doing it until Jesus passes by and looks at him and that's when Paul realize or Peter realizes that what it did what he did that he denied right. Jesus but it was that crowd spirit and that's the way um looking back on the story I just told you about me and my friend um that's the way I felt is like you just get into this mob mentality right and um yeah
1: oh ab- absolutely i I mean myself, like raised in a town that in my high school we had maybe two black people and mm-hmm. hundreds of white people, sort of mm-hmm. thing, and there's just you know uh, i I heard quite a few n words in high school in different yeah. classes and stuff, like this was not nineteen sixties this is two thousand and four you know i was I was hearing I was hearing these words and um you know that sort of thing, and i I think we have been uh, as Christians, we are in a great position to view this topic because mm-hmm. we have been rightly taught that Jesus looks and says, "Hey, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery, if you mm-hmm. have you have had this anger at your brother you you have committed murder in your heart, and like murderer, adulterer, all these like really heavy, terrible, like we have learned that like God is a God who you can, uh, you can self apply those words to you and not fear that your heavenly father will rebuke, you know, will reject you. Yeah. Sort of thing. Like He still, he'll wants you. And I think if we, you know, if you were to say, if you were to continue it on and be like, if you, have this thought of superiority or this thought of uh judgment at a brother of a different race you know race or color, mm-hmm. then you are racist in your heart sort of thing like I think we have learned how to i think that's an amazing thing that we have is that i can on um, I can say these very harsh words about myself, knowing that one I can uh be renewed. Mm-hmm. Renewed daily and like, and Jesus can work, like transform the sin in my life Um while all at the same time being able to look at my black brothers and sisters and be like, I have not been a brother and sister to you at mm-hmm. different times, whether consciously or subconsciously. Right. And this is, and I'm not from the fifties or the sixties and I'm not from slavery times but i am from the early 2000s and 90s and yeah. yet and yet like yeah i i absorbed some of that toxic garbage as well
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah um so one of the things that you said
0: and um I, we'll we'll keep this topic tw- all the way toward the end is that you said none of us have a biblical worldview um and you kind of mentioned a couple of those things like patriotism and things like that um do you mind going a little bit deeper sure into that because because i'm finding i'm finding this to be something i'm struggling with myself because um you know a lot of churches today um have american flags hanging you know and, and and things like that and that's something that i struggle with um on a daily basis
1: right yeah oh yeah i i would say i don't know i mean that is something that i i will I'm going to breeze past politics for a second. So you don't even need to comment on it. I'm going to just kind of breeze past it. And I'm going to say, I feel like in some ways, as a Christian, I was, I left the room for a second to like go to the bathroom. And when I came back, everyone was like a Trump supporter. And I walked back into the room and I went, and I went like, hold on, hold on, everyone. Wait a minute. Well, like what, <laughs> the, what I mean like what ha- like I truly feel in some ways unplugged from my Christian brothers and sisters in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. there are a lot of uh you know conservative christians where i i feel like in a lot of ways i'm kind of lockstep and in some ways i'm probably pretty moderate in other ways and Mm -hmm. i think probably since living in chicago like there are definitely some policies that i am a lot more i'd say probably in immigration i'm a lot more left-leaning than a lot of you know my friends Mm -hmm. um uh, christian friends um but i do feel like in some ways i have like walked into this and all of a sudden i don't recognize my people around me because i was like hold up like we're all reading the same tweets right we all see the same man and we see his same tactics and everything and it's like hold up i how are we how is this a thing so i do feel like i i stepped out of the room and i came back in and everyone got like brainwashed a little bit and i'm just like hold on what's going on around me See, I don't. uh,
0: Yeah, I I don't feel that way because um, I'm also
1: admittedly a little unplugged from a. uh, uh, must have been a time where I was somewhat unplugged from politics while I was like (laughs) starting my career. So maybe I truly did
0: step out of politics for a bit. Yeah, well, when uh, so when I got saved, I was was 17 when I got saved and I got saved at a Baptist church and uh, always have have been told like your Christians vote Republican. Right. Same. So, so I think so I've seen that all the way through um a, a, any church I've I've been at. Right. And and so it's almost as if like hey, if you don't um vote red, you know, then you're not really a Christian because, you know, and um I don't know if you saw the article uh it, it happened per, I think it was like 2 or 3 weeks ago, um but uh, John MacArthur, uh he said that uh there's three things that Christians need to vote on and that's abortion, gay rights and trans rights. And those are the three issues that uh, drive Christian politics. Mm-hmm. And, um, I heard about it on a podcast and I remember the pot, the podcast, um, host, one of the things he said was like, so we're going to ignore poverty, um, immigration and human rights <laughs> and, and yeah. things like that. You know, even monetary policies, like we're not, we're not going to worry about mon- monetary policies or anything like that. And, um,
1: yeah. So I don't it really feel... does come down to abortion for a lot of I mean, like that is sort of the that is That's the, it, the yeah. one issue and that, that you've been talking about recently on this. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: actually haven't gotten to some of the things I um, wanted to talk about, uh, which is kind of statistics, because statistically uh, abortion um, abortions have been going down. They've been trending down and they're actually lower than they were when Roe v. Wade was instilled. I
1: mean, I've just been looking into. uh, You you caught me at this moment because I was just looking at a looking at this probably the same a similar article, and I was like, "Hold on a second, I need to I need to rethink some things." Because yeah,
0: yeah, and (laughs) and I and I think that and for me, what that tells me is that policy doesn't matter as much as we think it does. Um, because one thing about like Supreme Court justices and stuff like that is uh, most Supreme Court justices are going to hold a precedence rather than make dramatic shifts in policy. So uh, they're going to uphold cases. And that's how they built the case up to Roe v. Wade, because they built it based on precedence and then said, mm-hmm. well, constitutionally, this makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that's right. why it even happened. Yeah. Um and so to overturn Roe v. Wade and, and then the, the same uh, article um said that even if we overturn Roe v. Wade, it would only affect about ten percent of abortions mm. worldwide. Okay or, or, so, or, or, or not worldwide, but you know, country wide, nationwide.
1: Right. Okay. So I'm, I, I never answered your question, so I want to answer sorry, it. Sorry. I know that that's on me. Cause I went, I took a quick uh, politics detour sort of yeah. thing. Um, but I would say that the worldview that, that I have and that, that various people have, I find that we have in a lot of ways been influenced by message that Jesus never endorsed. And I think um, in a lot of like, and I think financially I think is one of the ways that it's like the it doesn't quite feel and, and helping of the poor and visiting those in prison it like feels like part of it that has been kind of influenced by a political stance more than by the gospel. And I think to especially when it comes to like how we view poor people for example and how we view the poor it's you know i think it's been more influenced in my life by hearing about you know like oh maybe need to work more need to, you know can't have a handout sort of thing mm-hmm. more than what jesus says about people in poverty and that sort of thing and like all of these different la- layers are on it and i think when it comes to you know it was always taught that America was the best America was like God's new, it's mm-hmm. God's new Israel, God's new mm-hmm. country. Like, and then, you know, and this feeling of hold on a second, but like, what about the world? What about our brothers and sisters from around the world from different countries? And do, you know, do we need to, why is my country better than their country? Like if, if we serve the same God and if we serve the same, like, God is the God, not of United States. He's the God of the world. He's the King of the world, King of Kings sort of thing. Um, so uh, yeah, I think having a, us not having a true biblical worldview, I think if we confess that we have it all figured out, I think we would have to in some ways examine, are we just in some ways making the Bible fit? Um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of um you know, talk about capitalism and socialism, and the idea of you know as a church, are we doing what the early church did no not not what you know, no way and whatsoever, like are we truly sharing with one another so that no one in our church is is needy at all? Yeah. no, because we are concerned with our own uh you know our own property, our own stuff, like the whole mm-hmm. private. I own this. I think we've lost stewardship and that sort of thing, and I think that corrupts my worldview.
0: Yeah, um, I I tend to agree. I, I do kind of uphold private property only in the sense that um, one of my big principles that I live by is you can't you can't legislate morality. Um, and so yes, I believe that we are we are called to share you know the things that we do have we're called to share that but i can't force you to share your stuff um because right. then i would then i would be enforcing my will which i it, coercion which i believe is
1: violence well th- this is where you have this is the you have touched on the exact point where policy mm-hmm. and and either the ideal or how we should think and live are at odds with one another. Cause for example, right. like the idea of if you were to take, Hey, if someone asks for your coat, you know, mm-hmm. give it to them uh, walk, you know, like if you were to turn the sermon on the Mount into policies, right? It would, it would in a lot of ways fall apart economically, mm-hmm. like it, you know, at it, full generosity and full, like, so, I worry that in some ways the idea, like because they don't work as well in policy, same thing with like, okay, how does it, how does it work? Um, you know, for, with policy wise, with uh, the poor in our country sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, personally I can say to myself, okay, as a cold, hard policy, fine. Like what actually helps find the data? Okay. I understand that when it comes to like how I should view the poor and what I should do personally with my own finances and with my, and I say my own with the the finances that God has given me, I think almost like I, I fear that the policies have crept into our hearts Mm. where the policies were just to kind of as guardrails to keep dishonest us, us dishonest greedy people from taking advantage of others. Yeah. And then we're somehow backtracking them into our own lives versus letting our own lives be completely generous and completely like letting someone take advantage of you, et cetera, et cetera, for the sake of the gospel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how much do you think Christians should even be a part of politics and policies? Mm. (sighs) I... That's because tough. i mean i mean um uh, so let's talk politics just for a second oh so we are here <laughs> we are here um so i have grown to become more of uh what's called an agorist um, i don't know if you know what an agorist is
1: you did you found a label that is super cool and no i have no idea
0: yeah well um agorists uh, agorism is basically uh operating outside of of the government um so uh, like if you like get paid under bigfoot. your table, like if, yeah like bigfoot <laughs> um, so like if you get paid under the table, you know you're kind of skirting taxes, um, so okay. therefore you're an agorist you know because yep. you're not you're 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 not but you're also um you're also taking yourself away from the participation of mm-hmm. government because because you see it as an institution that doesn't represent your ideals and beliefs properly, and so that's the way that I'm. I have grown to view government is you know mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't matter what president we have in there, they're dropping thousands of bombs on brown people across the world, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we say it's in the name of of security and freedom, but you know sometimes it's like what does what does the Middle East have to do with us anymore? Because nine eleven was almost twenty years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I've, You want me to respond to agorism? Sure. Sure. Well, I I, I guess the original question, which is um, how much do you think that how much do you think Christians should be involved Hmm.
1: in politics? I think I think they should be involved in politics. Okay, because I think Christians should be involved with what the world cares about. Mm -hmm. I think that is my I think my thought is now. I I think holding the like, well, if Christians were all in charge, we would like fix all these problems. I don't believe that because I believe that like Christians, just like any other human can fall to power. And I think a lot of ways politics, you know, can be very corrupt and very like in order to go into politics, there's some hands you have to grease and different things along the way, which is sad. Yeah, I think that what people care about should be what humans care about should be what Christians care about. Because mm-hmm. we are we are called to care for humans, for other mm-hmm. people. Um, and I think that that is... Now, do I think that Christians should be so radically Jesus-looking, so close to that we do look a little bit crazier to the outside world? So I don't know how well that goes into politics in some ways i picture like you know like early christians sort of like hey you know you guys can leave but i want to stay behind in the plague and and feed people that are dying of the plague sort of thing yeah um whether that means like i think knowing i think being able to say as a christian like i'm going to vote with my i'm going to say it wrong i never know as conscience. I have to say it, conscience, conscious, no, conscience. conscience. Right. The other one is being awake or being not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never, I know. I never you, know. Till you, I say it.
0: you are conscious. You have a conscience.
1: Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think that we are called to vote and I would say vote principally, but also mm. realizing that, which I think we have gotten very far from is that no politician will save us. And that we are, you know, like searching for a world that people love us and love Christians all like, and think we're the greatest. I think by looking for that and by looking for praise from people or protections from our government that sort of thing, um, can end up us idolizing the politicians where I think we should be the most like realistic of like, all right. These people will not save us, heal us they're not going to uh, bring our land back to God. No politician can do that like that we are going to on the small on a small scale serve God and influence our little sphere mm. around us. so I think it is participating but at the same time um, not putting hope in, which I know it sounds cliche now that I say it, but I think that's it's hard it's hard to not. Get in well, so you, deep that you're um, like, this will change things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I again, that's why I think that I take more of an agorist approach because I feel like we can do that without policy. Um, I think that we can influence change in the world without policy, if we just started to do like what you were talking about, like if we just started sharing our coats, and if we just started to, um, you know, like be wronged, you know, if you get wrong, just be wronged, don't right. don't take it up to a court, don't take it up to, you know, these different uh, things like that. If we, um, you know, kind of gave gave out of our out of the generous nature of our heart. You know, if we see somebody who needs something, we give it right. to them. We don't need a law that tells us to give them something. We don't need a law that says, you know, hey, take this portion of my taxes out so that we can, you know, uh
1: provide for, you know, for the elderly, elderly. provide for the the poor yeah. because we are we are doing that.
0: Yeah, because if the church was doing what they're supposed to be doing, those people would be provided for,
1: you know. And the unfortunate thing is that I've heard that my whole life, but mm-hmm. I we that just haven't been doing that. Um, I you know I but, I hear that yeah. also when it comes to abortion is that right? If you are pro life, you should be so pro adoption that your church. I mean, what well, I I have to praise our our church up here in Chicago because they mm-hmm. have an adoption fund mm-hmm. that they have gathered in the church and if any, and any member wants to adopt, you know, I think it's like $10,000 from the church of like, we will help you adopt a child sort of. Wow. And I think like that sort of, I mean, if you're going to, whatever you want the policy to be, like you said, I agree with you. Like you need like to do the things that the, that instead of waiting for a policy to change, do things to impact the world in a better way. So for example, and like, I'm not going to talk too much about abortion because we've, you've done that a lot already, but like <laughs> there, you know, that whole, like by helping those in poverty, you would actually lower a lot of rates. I mean, mm-hmm. like, that is, that is a, something that you can do to help, you know, out in your area. Yeah, But it, it's also, like you said, not, you know, you can't change someone's heart with policy. The, where I find that super interesting and we kind of going back to race for just a second is okay. If you are, if you have been disadvantaged by redlining and, and all sorts of like systems in our country that make it so that, um, you know, you don't, you aren't being hired and getting opportunities. For example, I'm a big sports guy. I know most people are not. (laughs) Um, but for example, hardly any, Uh, NFL coaches, black NFL coaches and like one minority owner just Mm -hmm. because like NFL owners, a lot of white guys that had money Mm -hmm. from a long time ago. yeah. And they hire a lot of GMs because they're comfortable with them that are also white. And those white GMs and white owners hire a lot of white coaches. Mm -hmm. So they institute a Rooney rule, which means that you have to interview one minority candidate for Mm -hmm. the coaching position. You don't have to hire them. Um, but that's one of those things where a rule, for example, tries to give more black people the opportunity of an area that is so weirdly disproportionate. And we have a lot of those areas in our country where it's super disproportionate areas. And I think where I'm struck, because I have no idea the correct answers to this, is right. what can we do to help people who... Are less likely to get hired due to either centuries of prejudice or or you know education not being great in a certain area? how do we help those people? Is that through is there some i don 't say policy but is there something to like help sort of thing or is that just like that's not really going to people are still going to have these thoughts well um
0: so if i could if I could just put in a very um, non-informed opinion mm-hmm. uh, of what I would think might work um, sure. or, or, or not, well, cause I don't, I don't have a solution. There's no, sol- I don't know a solution that would work now, um, right. but I, I guess I would say if we could imagine a world where uh, one thing is copyright laws were actually shortened or even non non existent um, to where uh, like, let's say I started my own football league. Mm-hmm. And and I started my football league with the with teams named the Patriots, the Jets and the Buccaneers, <laughs> sure. you know, um, well, I wouldn't have some big corporation that owned those names that would be able to sue me for copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. I would be able to use logos. I'd be able to use everything like that. And I would mm-hmm. be able to have my own players. Um, but because the NFL is such a huge thing right now, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's so huge that they're. There are probably a myriad of laws that I have absolutely no idea about, you know, that would that would keep me from not only starting my own team, but starting from starting my own league and being able to charge people to come into a stadium because I would also have to uh, find stadiums that are uh, that meet code. Um, I'd have Mm -hmm. to, and if if there's not one, then I would have to build one and then I'd have to meet all the code regulations instead of just being able to go out into a field, charge people money to drive up on their cars and, you know, make some money on my own football league, you know, and start that from like a Mm -hmm. grassroots movement. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't think about is that a lot of the things that we know are built on regulations that keep people down that keep a lot of well, you know minorities down because again if the nfl wasn't so huge and people weren't making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and there was some kind of competition because you see how hard the xfl is having to get mm-hmm. off the ground you know and it's because they, they probably have to do something different because there's some kind of regulation or law or copyright mm-hmm. fraud, infringement like that that keeps them from doing you know from just literally being another nfl um, and they're having such a hard time doing it, and that's being funded by millionaires and billionaires. Right. Um, so how hard would it be for somebody like me to start something where a black person uh, would have the opportunity to own a team, uh, be able to pay their own players and charge whatever amount they wanted to right. for? Merchandise and stuff like that. Um, Right. The systems
1: that are currently built right now are meant to stay like NCAA college athletes. It's meant to people that are making hand over foot right now are wanting to stay, which uh, throwing it all the way back is one of the uh, true tenets to a critical race theory is that the mm -hmm. systems that are in place are meant to stay in place mm-hmm. at the detriment of people that want to improve them or change them.
0: Yeah, and so that's that's one of the reasons why I just think that policy isn't going to change it because there's just too many regulations. Like, uh, I want to throw out another example here because um, I've thought about running for office before. Nikki mm-hmm. does not want me to do that because one, because I don't know what office I would run for. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say I had a platform and my platform would be like, Let's deregulate something. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I don't, you know, uh, let's deregulate something. Well, Matt, what would you deregulate? I would deregulate um, hair salons and barbershops because I get my hair cut in my house by my wife mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go to a friend's house if they knew how to cut hair and have them cut my hair. I don't need regulations to tell me if a barber, uh, you know, mm-hmm. should have a license or not. And so the uh, question that was raised to me, because I was talking, I was, I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine who is super pro-regulations. Um, and we we had this conversation about barbershops. And he said, well, what happens if you get lice? I was like, well, I wouldn't go to that barber anymore. Like, it's right. that simple. I don't need a regulation for that. I don't need some kind of sanitary. Because also, too, if I walk into a barbershop and it's like unsanitary, I'm not going to get my hair cut there. And I don't think anybody else is going to get their hair cut there. Mm-hmm. So that barber is not going to last very long. And that's the free market kind of doing its job, you know? Um, and so like if I could, if I had a platform, it would be like, let me deregulate something. And it Mm -hmm. would be barbershops and hair salons.
1: I did not know that there was regulation in barbershops.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, they have to have a license. They have to have a license like, like everywhere. And I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, stylists and things like that have to have like 15 plus hours just to become a hair salon and then they mm-hmm. have to operate under um, another hair salon. And imagine that, imagine if like uh, operating costs, like you didn't have to have all these regulations, sanitary regulations and all like that to own a building.
1: Can I give you, okay, I'm going to give you a, a regulations pushback. Are you ready? Okay. Go for it. Okay. Is it possible that if you took away some of those regulations, which I I hear you saying that and it sounds great. Is it possible that it would mean that the different establishments that don't hold to any hygienic thing, Mm -hmm. but you offer, you have your taco stand Mm -hmm. and you offer 10 cent tacos. Right, but you're like washing the your, you you washing your meat and your v- produce and just like toilet water in the back, but it's okay. super cheap. Then the people who can't who can only afford ten cent tacos, you end up just mm-hmm. having more impoverished people eating the bad tacos and all getting sick. Yeah, it, and and that organ like, but they still have to like they okay we can't. Again, bad example, but they can't afford the the dollar tacos at the at the hygienic place. That's better. They just like, well, I can feed my whole family for a dollar with ten tacos or whatever. So we keep going to this place. Fifty percent chance you get sick or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have some sort of uh, disease that only spreads around because people who can afford the dollar tacos are like, don't go to that place. They wash it with sink water, you know, toilet water in the back. Is it possible right. that that could actually hurt? people in worse positions than us because of the lack of regulation? <laughs> I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I was, that was my thought. Well, not well, barbers, I don't know.
0: Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why if I had a platform, it would be like, let me deregulate something. <laughs> and like the only thing I can really think of that, like most people would probably not have an issue with is like barbershops, mm-hmm. you know? And if I could just deregulate that, then I bet the, boost there would be like so many people like cutting hair and making money you know that nobody would care you know they'd be I like know. man there's so so many jobs have been created because matt deregulated the the barber he's, a, he's the hero here's the hero he's gotham the hero. deserves exactly exactly um but uh the taco stands um that's 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 another issue um I don't know because okay. So uh, I used to work at Red Barn Steakhouse. It's no longer in business, so I don't care talk about talking bad about it anymore. Um, but Red Barn Steakhouse, we um, we we kept it pretty clean. But the uh, the back door was a screen door, and, and flies would get in, you know. And so uh, we consistently, as far as like health regulations and stuff like that, um, didn't do too great. You know, um, again, I thought it was clean. Uh, like it, it, really wasn't. Thinking back, but there were it, flies
1: we, in the soup.
0: There were flies you in the soup. Have flies in the soup. Well, there was flies in the soup. There was also like cockroaches and stuff and so, <laughs> um, I didn't see a whole lot of that. I saw uh, flies mostly.
1: Um, but you know, mostly, you're not I mean, helping your deregulate case at this point in time. I do want cockroaches no, listen, to keep from getting li- in my. Food. But
0: listen, but listen, listen, listen. This is my point here. Um, it wasn't the health inspectors. That shut the place down. What shut the place down was when News Channel 8 did a story about how a dirty dining. And then they got then Red Barn Steakhouse shut down for a week and uh-huh. cleaned everything top to bottom, fixed the screen, uh-huh. and uh, but like clean but cleaned everything, even got brand new equipment that uh-huh. you know was dirty and stuff like that. All because of News Channel 8, not uh-huh. because of not not just years, but like decades of uh, health inspector regulations.
1: Okay, so you said it was public sentiment that caused change, rather than rather than any,
0: rather than regulation, because the health because the thing is, is they passed enough health inspections that they were still allowed to stay open for business. Got it. So I would think the same thing about the taco stand is that um, you know. I'm going to say, say a quote here and it's, and it's, um, uh, is this a Renee Girard? No, it's not Rene Girard. Um, well then what's, what's the point of quoting? What's the point? Else? Let's just, <laughs> let me just throw this out. Um, it's, 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 uh, quoted as Thomas Jefferson, but it's the, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful. Uh, he says slavery, peaceful slavery, hmm. but it's kind of the same idea is, you know, with more freedom, there's going to come more risk. Mm-hmm. and I, and i think i would rather take the risk than be told hey um don't let that guy cuz the thing is, is you got to think about the taco stand guy who's charging 10 cents for tacos the reason he's doing that is because uh the big guys are charging a dollar and he can't compete with them right so how does he compete he's got to charge lower prices right and he's just trying to provide for his family sure you know and his family is probably eating those tacos so he's like hey they they're they're, right. they're surviving so why wouldn't any other person survive right.
1: And he was like, well, I shouldn't use this toilet bowl as a sink. I shouldn't,
0: I shouldn't use this toilet bowl as a sink, but, but it's all I have. Maybe, but one, that's also ridiculous. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that any, because like, the thing is, is there was a taco guy who, uh, when I worked at advanced Advance Auto Parts in Plant City, we had a taco guy who set up his taco stand and there were people who wouldn't eat there because they thought it was dirty. Um, if I watched that guy one time on lunch break, I had an hour lunch break and he, after every, after every like 10 batch of 10 that he would do, he would literally clean everything top to bottom. And then he would yeah. do more, you know,
1: and, and, uh, it wasn't well, because if people get sick from your tacos. They're not going to come back to your taco stand, at least in, in this
0: exactly but that's what i'm saying like they're they're not going to come back to the taco stand and it's not going to be because of regulation it's going to be because of public sentiment and because they're they're going to see like hey that guy's tacos kill people maybe we don't want to eat those
1: yeah 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 Yeah. but killing one person is probably not good for your taco stand
0: it's well no it's not but the thing is that's your dangerous freedom (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the dangerous freedom though. But, um, and then also too, okay, so, uh, let's, let's take, uh, 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 so McDonald's, when they had that lawsuit, the lady poured the hot coffee on her lap or whatever. Oh Um, that's also another thing that's going to keep people from killing people because the thing is, is like you kill a person, you're probably going to get sued by their family, right? you know, and you can't, what do you want to do? I'm going to afford a clean sink to wash the dishes with, or am I going to risk, um, getting in a lawsuit after killing somebody and then spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on lawyers and all that stuff, you know? So I'm not yeah. sure how
1: we got here, but that's, uh, yeah, uh,
0: I'm it up. was my, it was my campaign pitch vote for Matt. Oh, it was, your,
1: you're right. <laughs> right. Right. 2024,
0: <laughs> I think is the next. And uh, mine
1: is, I'm my, uh my platform is I'm going to stop spam calls entirely and I will keep bad movies to under 90 minutes. But you would have to regulate that. I know you have to regulate that. I know. See, I see. I would Listen, say no. You're trying to take away regulation, but as I'm you try to take away, away one, I'm adding, adding another one.
0: one to a different place. <laughs> that's your that's your campaign slogan. See, Matt wants to deregulate. I want to regulate.
1: Well, here's the thing. I run, one as to your one vice. Ratio. I run as your vice in, in your presidential Ooh. campaign. You're deregulating things. I'm regulating other things. We're like yin and yang. We're like yin we're, and yang. <laughs> we keep it
0: the one, one-on-one ratio.
1: <laughs> Don't worry. If anyone of you guys are worried about regulations going away, they won't. They're just being siphoned to different areas. The <laughs> taco trucks.
0: See, that's a great platform. That's a great platform.
1: <laughs> Balance. <laughs> Matt, at some point in time, I do have to leave because I yes. do have to get back to painting more tonight. Yes, I'm going back um, to the work site.
0: Well, let's uh, do you want to go ahead and just close it at 930 or do you want to try to like, let's just go ahead and end this. ASAP?
1: No, let's do 930. I like okay. it. OK, cool,
0: because Nikki's probably out there right now listening to me and saying this is supposed to end at nine. And oh, what's it supposed to end at nine? I'm well, sorry. it's unofficially at nine. Like I unofficially try to take an hour, but we talked about more than just one subject.
1: We have been surfing through surfing through. Sorry. Subject, no. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about church leadership across the, our great country. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I do love. I do love talking church culture for the most part. Um, I do have to say mm-hmm. that is I as far as um, churches in our country. I do have mm-hmm. to say it is such an interesting time and sometimes I want to work at a church because I find church culture so interesting. Uh as somebody
0: who works at a church, um I well, I've worked at many of churches. So I, I've I've been employed by at least four churches. And wow. yeah, and you and and the and they're different. Uh well no three of have, have been the same denomination. Uh now I work for a non-denominational church. Um, but there's always there's always the behind the scenes and some right. people will I get this interesting part to it. Yeah. Well, some people will get disgusted by it. Um, some people will be able to look past it and see that even some of the politics that goes on is in support of the mission that they have. Yeah. And yeah. that you, ha- you, you have to you have to you know, as an employee, you have to say, well, this isn't my church. You know, um, I'm not the lead pastor. And so I'm, what, what is, the vision that he has is the vision that I have to carry as well. And I think that sometimes it's hard for people because of reformation and, and all that yeah. jazz.
1: I think when it comes to uh, the, my my last point, kind of the reason why I thought about it is because mm-hmm. I'm part of a church now, which is very interested uh, interesting because I know that multi-campus. Um, mm-hmm branching out is becoming very popular in the U S uh, I'm part of a church that is a kind of decentralized mm-hmm. in the fact that it's not like they, they plant new churches, but then there's no cross as far as sermons and things like that. Um, at some point in time, I would like to, we don't have time for this, but I'd love to chat about kind of the mega church. Uh, you know, I, there was kind of the rise of the mega church pastor, yeah. And then sort of like a hit back as a lot of megachurch pastors had some sort of moral failings or, you know, like got hyper political or whatever along the way. Uh, but then I would like to talk to you about, or actually I do want to ask you this question. Go for it. What do you think is the trend? What do you think is the trend going forward? And what do you think should be the trend of churches in America and how, like, especially with COVID, how they move forward? <laughs>
0: As far as like, because uh, you mentioned COVID,
1: so do you mean? Like- oh, sorry. I mean, I don't want, I don't, want, I don't want it to all be COVID based. But I was just yeah, thinking, like, yeah. I know that COVID can be a, a catalyst for different things. But maybe don't even include it if you don't think it's that impactful for the overall course of the American church. But where do you, where do you see it going? Like, still more satellite churches of central hubs, or? Well, there is. Well, uh, I don't look
0: at church trends. So I don't really know what, what the path is going toward. I have my, what my ideal yeah. is what I, where I think churches need to go. Um, I think churches need to get out of politics. That's one thing. Um, I, I think we, I think we can influence, um, better not through policy, but through just, you know, affecting change within our communities. Um, and, and, uh, I don't know. I've been seeing this battle, and again, I don't know if it's just my algorithm or whatnot, but I've been seeing this battle between um, kind of these uh, Reformation theology guys and uh, the prosperity gospel preachers, mm. you know. And I think those are kind of the two the two that are rising to the surface. And I think that um, I, I think that I tend to lean more toward the Reformation guys. Mm-hmm. um because they i feel like they are sticking more to orthodox teachings which right. are which are less about you know god god's blessings god's promises and things like that because i think that we misconstrue the concept of god's promises with what the promise actually was which man,
1: we got it, we got it, we gotta go in, I mean, we can't start this now, but yeah, I'm sorry man, I'm sorry, man, I think, that, what I is, think there's you know, what, what is, does a blessed life actually mean that is not what probably what we think it means in our culture well, um, I was thinking about this other day, and I'll kind of end on this,
0: and then uh w- we can skim through some of these, um I was thinking about this the other day, um. When Jesus taught, I think it's when Jesus talks about uh, life and life abundantly. He wants to. Right. I want to live life and life abundantly. Well, what we think in our American brain is, well, abundant life means that he wants us to be successful. He wants us to not have to struggle. Um, you know, he wants us to to be independent financially and things like that. Where. Right. I wonder
1: if Jesus married thought, and not be single. We can talk about singleness in the marriage.
0: Yeah, married and not be single, and with that, have children. Yeah, you know, uh, live don't live with your parents. You know, those yeah. kinds of things. But what if Jesus? What if what Jesus meant was is that you live life day to day, and you help people day to day, and you affect change day to day. That your life has more meaning and purpose in it without having a lot of stuff, and therefore you live life. And you live life
1: abundantly. Right, right. So Yeah. The days are the days are full of purpose, the days are full of meaning, and you are walking humbly with your God. And uh Oh man. We could yes. Yeah. And, so and actually, you know what? And, you know what?
0: Let's schedule let's schedule our next one <laughs> and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about church culture and yeah. uh where we where we kind of idealistically see where we want churches and all of that. Not a whole lot of questions, mostly. Uh, Nikki kind of asked, you know, um, what if you're not part of the left or the right? Uh, why do you think libertarians are, are left out? Um, oh, because, because I don't...
1: Race theory time, I think, when we were talking about uh, right. I think that's what we were talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I think, too, is uh, because um, a lot of people uh, a lot of people don't recognize that there's a third candidate out there. There's actually more. There's like eight candidates. Right. Um, but Joe Jorgensen, is a libertarian nominee. Um, she's actually uh, quite qualified. Um, I don't necessarily like her as a libertarian candidate because uh, she's still, um, again, I'm more agorist. So I want more deregulation and I want to see a candidate who wants to deregulate. Um, mm-hmm. But she is for regulations. Like she wants to add some regulations. Um, I'm not for that. And that's why I don't see her as a, as a good candidate. Got it. You know,
1: um, I think I, uh, I think my answer is that libertarians are left out because the left and the right have dominated the. It is a true dichotomy, and when you have these, when you have two warring parties, uh, the other members will just be seen as pawns of those. Whether that's true or not, I don't think it should be true. I would love there to be five strong, equally strong parties in our in our government. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's
0: not the case. I, I think it's a false dichotomy. I, I, yeah. I, cause I think, cause independence is like independence is a bigger chunk of the pie. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, and well, so
1: it, it, it's amazing that if you, I, I hate this that when you vote for a candidate and, and I have, um, several times not voted for either the two leading candidates, Republican or Democrat. And I hate the the mindset of, oh, you're just casting, you're just throwing away your vote and you're helping so-and-so. And I was like, hold on, you don't know who I was going to vote for in the first place. So right. you can't tell which side I am, quote unquote, throwing my vote away to.
0: I actually – I made a goofy post one time, and I said, hey, when uh, Gary Johnson was running – and I did – I voted for Gary Johnson. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember I posed a question. I said, so with me casting my vote for Gary Johnson, who am I helping? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And I mean right. it was it was like all the Democrats were like, oh, you're helping Trump. You're helping Trump. And then all the you know Republicans are yep. like, ah, oh, you're helping Hillary. It's like, yep. oh, I thought I was voting for Gary Johnson. I'm sorry. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So anyways, that was really kind of the only – real question my dad is asking some questions but it's like you know goofy questions like you know how much uh how much would matt charge me to let my to let let him cut my hair you know how much i don't, I don't know i tried to cut my dad's hair one time and it didn't turn out very good so I, it's more of the fact that i like confidence in myself to cut people's hair
1: i think i think for twenty dollars you'd cut somebody's hair I unless your dad has got a lustrous mane if he's got uh, a the hair then i think it's pretty easy just buzz it it's down pretty,
0: it's pretty yeah, it's pretty close it's pretty close twenty dollars for a buzz you think is that's not overkill no i don't think it's fine
1: for okay, the for that, for that family that family connection you can't pay for that <laughs> that's, true, that's I mean, true and by can't pay for that i mean it's worth a lot so you should pay for it okay okay i got you. he also says that you should regulate taco stands because you do not want to die from eating any tacos and you know what i am pro Lee Glover, yep. I'm with you. Regulate taco stands. <laughs> regulate taco stands. Deregulate, deregulate barbers. barbers- that's de-regulate our platform.
0: Barbers- that, that's our platform. That's our platform. Matt, Matt and Nate, 2024. Regulate uh, regulate taco stands. Deregulate barbershops.
1: I like the idea of. um Glover Baranowski it's or Glover, Baranowski. Baranowski Glover. And next to you is like the D part of deregulate. And next to me is like the like overregulate. I have the over, and then we have arrows pointing towards regulate. And it's just <laughs> us, us with, facing each other with our fists up. Like, listen, we won't fight against another party because all the fighting's internal. <laughs> Glover <Baranowski. laughs> Draw it up. Draw it up. Let's
0: do it. all right man well uh i really appreciate you coming on um i don't i don't want to ask you to stick around for post show or anything like that. Like I usually ask people to stick around for like five minutes or whatever. Um, just how did I do? How did I do with the interview and stuff like hey,
1: that? I, I'm I'm cool. Staying around for a post show. I didn't know. Are we, is this like a high top table, some hors d'oeuvres and a <laughs> couple, a uh, couple of brewskis, you know? Oh uh, yeah. A little, some drinks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I All gonna have right. a there you go. There you go.
0: Okay. So, uh, hold on just for like five minutes and we'll do uh, a, some post show wrap up and stuff. All right. Well, Oh, uh, hold on. I did want to bring you back. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you were not like eating. Your- <laughs> I didn't immediately take
1: off my shirt. Yeah. Uh, um, so where can people find your art? Like go ahead and plug your art. Sure. It is. I have an Instagram page, which is Nate. Dot Baranowski. My last name is B-A-R-A-N-O-W-S-K-I. Nate Baranowski on Facebook. Uh, natebaranowski.com is my website, but Instagram is probably the best one. If you're on TikTok, you can also follow me on there. TikTok is a, a, a nightmare landscape, but if you want to hang out with me there, you can.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Again, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this uh, episode of MattNews.biz and this conversation with Nate Baranowski. You can rewatch this stream on my YouTube page. Link is in my bio on Facebook. Um, Or you can listen on podcasts, which is available on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. And I think most other podcast platforms are available. I hope to see you next time as we explore more Matt News.